Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That's secondhandbookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah, and as always, thank you for joining me this week on our journey through the stand. So before we jump into Chapter 68, this last Monday on the 31st, CBS All Access surprised us with a 30-second teaser trailer of their adaptation of The Stand. If you follow me on social media, you probably already know that I posted a nine-minute or so reaction video upon my first viewing of the teaser, and I have posted that as well as the actual trailer on thecircleopens.com. So if you've not yet seen the trailer, uh, why not? (laughs) Go online and give it a watch. Let me know what you guys think of it. So upon my initial viewing... Uh, I thought that Whoopi did not look 108. I was a little disappointed by the lack of aging makeup. However, I have watched it several times since my initial viewing, and I can see a little of those age lines on her face. I think maybe it was the angle of the shot that we got, or perhaps it was just uh, the clip. So as usual, I'm just kind of withholding my judgment on the makeup until I actually see her performance, and how she projects that age about her. Um, So that's just a little nitpicky thing that I'm really not going to freak out too much about. I think Odessa Young looks amazing as Fran. She's exactly how I would have pictured her in the book. I think that it's great that they kind of got a lesser-known actress to play the role. Uh, I think that um, having Molly Ringwald play Fran was kind of like, hey, it's Molly Ringwald playing Fran. And at least here, I can look at Odessa Young and say, this is Fran Goldsmith. So I'm really excited to see her take on that particular character. The one thing that really intrigued me about this trailer was the shot that came after the initial clip of Fran meeting Mother Abigail in her dreams. And this clip is of our four that were sent west to take a stand against Randall Flagg. Glenn Bateman, Stu Redman, and Larry Underwood, of course, played by Greg Kinnear, James Marsden, and Jovan Adipo. And we had been wondering, where is Ralph Brentner? Because Ralph is one of the four sent to go west. Ralph was the mouthpiece for Nick. Ralph is a really loving character who has a lot of loyalty and love for Mother Abigail. He is the ad hoc committee, the free zone committee. So... I was wondering, please, please tell me they're not cutting out Ralph Brentner. Well, in this clip, we see the fourth person sent to go west, and this is not a man. Ralph Brentner is a woman. And this woman, I guess the character's name for this adaptation is Ray Brentner, kind of like how they took Ray Flowers in the 1994 miniseries and just kept the name Ray, spelled it differently, and turned the man into a woman. Well, it looks like they did a little gender swap here, as they did with the rat man. And the actress is Irene Bedard. And Irene is the voice of Pocahontas from Disney's Pocahontas. 
She was also on a lot of TV shows. She was most recently on Westworld. She also starred in another King quote unquote adaptation from the television show The Mist. Don't watch it. It was not good, but <laughs> she was on it. And she was also on Longmire. So I have seen her in quite a few things, but I couldn't really recognize her because the shot is looking down as they're looking up. And she's very short compared to the men. So it was kind of hard to judge. Thank you to um, everyone who reached out to me to let me know of the name change. I appreciate that a lot. So rather than Ralph Brentner, we have Ray Brentner. And I kind of like this little gender swap. It reminds me of how they did it in the 1994 miniseries with Ray Flowers. They turned uh, Ray Flowers from a man to a woman, played by Kathy Bates, of course, and just kind of took the Y away from the name and put an E to make it feminine. And they've also gender swapped the rat man, was now the rat, the rat woman. So I don't have a problem with this. As long as they keep, I guess, the essence of who Ralph is as a character, I don't mind who's playing it. I know some people are going to be upset about the change, and you are well within your rights to not really enjoy these changes that Josh Boone is making to one of your favorite novels. I get it. Um, as for me, I'm just excited to be getting this new adaptation, and I'm kind of just withholding a lot of my, well, maybe not, or I'm not really digging this change kind of viewpoint until I see the finished product. That, to me, is the most important thing. I don't mind having little nitpicky things I don't like. I don't mind having casting choices that I'm kind of iffy on, gender swapping, name changes. As long as they make sense and don't take away from the story, I'm generally pretty easy to please. So I really just want to wait until the series comes out in December, watch it every episode, probably more than once, and then finally be able to settle on it and see where it ranks um, and where it stacks up against the 1994 series and the book. So as I'm talking about this trailer with this particular shot with the four going west, I have a feeling this is the scene where they have to cross, go down uh, this canyon, I suppose, and back up the other side. And we are not yet to that chapter in the book, so I'm not going to spoil you on it. But you do remember Mother Abigail had told them that one would fall before they reached the West. And this is the scene, I believe, where one of them will fall. So I'll leave it at that. I'm really excited to see that. We do get some quick little glimpses of um, we see Harold again, who we've already seen in the Vanity Fair photos. We get a quick glimpse of Rita and Larry in New York. Heather Graham, of course, looks amazing. I love her. Uh, Stu trying to escape the CDC. Again, I don't know if this is Stovington or Atlanta. The Vanity Fair uh, pictures showed Harold writing that they were on their way to the Atlanta CDC, not Stovington. So I'm not really sure if they're cutting out Vermont altogether or how they're going to uh, take care of that. We see Larry in the hospital. I'm sure that's probably when he's losing his mother. Fran lifting something extremely heavy, which I assume is probably her father's body. And we get a super quick glimpse of Henry Zaga as Nick Andros. He's got the eye patch. He is standing in front of a piano. And I can't tell if he's lifted the top of the piano, but he's looking up. And I'm wondering if this is the free zone committee meeting where the bomb goes off. Perhaps they put the bomb in the piano instead of the closet. 
So maybe this is the quick glimpse of the end of Nick Andros. I don't know. I'm just speculating. This could also be after he's gotten to Boulder or maybe Hemingford home. Maybe this is Mother Abigail's piano and he's just taking a look. I don't know. <laughs> Again, just me speculating. We get a glimpse of another glimpse of Grey Kinnear as Glenn Bateman. And of course, we get levitating flag. Alexander Skarsgård levitating over who knows, maybe Christopher Brattenton, Kit Brattenton, maybe just somebody else. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. And I don't care because he looks fantastic. I love the boots. I love the denim. He's got the buttons on his jacket. He looks great. He doesn't have the mullet. I'm sorry, you guys. Just accept that it's not going to happen. <laughs> this is a modernized version of this story. If Randall Flatt ha had a mullet, I don't think anybody in Vegas would be scared of him at all. <laughs> so along the end of the trailer, we also get to see Catherine McNamara as Julie firing off a gun at uh, Nick and Tom. I almost said Ted. What is wrong with me? Tom Cullen. But I was really kind of sad we didn't get a closer look at Tom Cullen. I haven't seen any photos of him on set. I haven't seen any production stills of Tom yet. So I kind of, I try to slow down this part of the trailer to kind of get a better look, but it's just, it goes by so fast and it's just action. So I didn't really get a good look at him, but that's okay. I have a feeling the next trailer will be at least two minutes or longer. So we'll probably get a better look at the rest of the cast. We do also see a quick glimpse of Stu running through the cornfield, probably from the dark man. And then this beautiful shot of a praying Mother Abigail in the dark with a terrifyingly huge white wolf staring her in the face. I think this was a perfect way to end the trailer. Um, that battle between good and evil, of course, starting with Mother Abigail. So this is a really intriguing trailer. It really got my hopes up that this could be something... Um, for any King fan to enjoy and be proud of. I know us constant readers don't really have a really strong track record of adaptations that are true adaptations that keep the heart and soul of King's books. A lot of the time, the heart and soul is cut out to be more, I guess, audience friendly for those who don't read King. So I'm really hoping that Josh Boone, being a huge King fan, will really give us something um, that at the end of December, you know, we can talk about and be excited about and be happy about. So those are my hopes and dreams, you guys. <laughs> talk to me in four months and we'll see where I am. So with that being said, if you haven't seen the trailer, please go online and give it a watch and let me know what you think. Now I think it's time for us to get back to the stand. We are on chapter 68. But we're going to do a quick recap of Chapter 67. Flag returns to Vegas with a catatonic Nadine. Lloyd discovers there is a red list consisting of names that they were to look out for. And Nick Andros, friend of Tom Cullen, is on that list. He also learns that Tom Cullen has already skipped town. When Flag finds out, he gets violent with Lloyd, blaming him for the third spy getting away, despite the fact that he kept Lloyd in the dark about this red list. Nadine provokes and taunts Flag about his failings and inability to see Tom. She warns him that four men are coming from the east to kill him. In his rage, Flag throws Nadine off the balcony, killing her and his child. Tom travels east, guided in his dreams by Nick. So in chapter 68, 
we are back in the mind of Trash Can Man, who is well aware of how much he has fucked up. He is out in the desert, the devil's frying pan, as he calls it, and he's burning. But it's not more than what he thinks he deserves. His skin had burned, peeled, burned, peeled again, and finally it had not tanned, but blackened. He was walking proof that a man finally takes on the look of what he is. Trash looked as if someone had doused him in number two kerosene and struck a match to him. The blue of his eyes had faded in the constant desert glare, and looking into them was like looking into weird extra-dimensional holes in space. He was dressed in a strange imitation of the dark man, an open-throated red-checked shirt, faded jeans, and desert boots that were already scratched and mashed and folded and sprung. But he had thrown away his red-flawed amulet. He didn't deserve to wear it. He had proved unworthy. And like all imperfect devils, he had been cast out. He had endured so much in his lonely life, and yet, when he came to Vegas, he had found friends. Lloyd, Ken, Whitney Horgan, Oh, but yes, he had messed up big time. Could there be redemption for him? The dark man might know. Trash can did not. He could barely remember what had happened. He had been in the desert for a week, finding contact landmines, incendiary fuses. He had felt good. But then Bill Jamison has said that people who play with fire wet the bed. And it was like he was back in Paltonville. And it wasn't Bill talking. It was Rich Groudemore. It wasn't Steve Tobin who said, you better put that match away, trash is back in town. It was Carly Yates. With growing horror, he had seen that they were all there, unquiet corpses come back to life. Richie Groudemore and Carly and Norm Morissette and Hatch Cunningham, the one who was getting bald even though he was only 18 and all of the others called him Hatch Cunnilingus. And for trash, it all came back in that moment. Hey, Trash, why didn't you torch the school? Hey, Trashy, you burned your pork off yet? Hey, Trash Can Man, I heard you snort Ronson lighter fluid. That true? Then Carly Yates. Hey, Trash, what did old Lady Semple say when you torched her pension check? He tried to scream at them, but all that had come out was a whisper. Don't ask me about old Lady Semple's pension check no more. And he ran. The rest of it was like a dream to him slapping the incendiary fuses on the trucks, fixing the helicopters in the same way with kitchen timers. People saw him, but no one questioned what he was doing. He wore Flag's charm, after all. In Trash's mind, he wasn't punishing Steve or Bill. He was punishing Carly Yates and Hatch Cunnilingus and Rich Groudemore. They would get a mighty surprise if they took one of those copters up into the air. When it was done, a moment of sanity had come back, a moment of choice. He had stared around wonderingly at the helicopters parked in the echoing hangar and then down at his hands. They smelled like a roll of burned caps. But this was not Paltonville. There were no helicopters in Paltonville. The Indiana sun did not shine with the savage brilliance of this sun. He was in Nevada. Carly and his pole hall buddies were dead. Dead of the superflu. Trash nearly turned around to fix everything, knowing better than to sabotage the dark man's equipment. But the lovely explosions, the lovely fire, flaming jet fuel streaming everywhere, helicopters exploding out of the air. So beautiful. 
and he had suddenly thrown his new life away. He had trotted back to a sand crawler, a furtive grin on his sun-blackened face. He had gotten in and driven away, but not too far away. He had waited, and finally a fuel truck had come out of the motor pool garage and had trundled across the tarmac like a large olive drab beetle. And when it blew, exploding greasy fire in every direction, Trash had dropped his field glasses and bellowed at the sky, shaking his fists in articulate joy. But the joy had not lasted long. It had been replaced by deadly terror and sick, mourning sorrow. He drove quickly into the desert, away from Indian Springs, and contemplated killing himself. But he had not done it. He didn't know why. Some force more powerful than the agony of his remorse and loneliness had stopped him. It seemed that even burning himself to death like a Buddhist monk was not penance enough. He had slept, and when he woke, he discovered that a new thought had crept into his brain as he slept. And that thought was redemption. Was it possible? He didn't know. But if he found something, something big, and brought it to the dark man in Las Vegas, might it not be possible? And even if redemption was impossible, perhaps atonement was not. If that was true, there was still a chance he could die content. And Trash knows what's out in the desert. He could sense the heat and the darkness revealing those heat sources as vague red devil shapes. He could have gone straight west, straight to Project Blue where the whole thing had begun. The cold plague was not to his taste. And in his confused but not entirely illogical way, he thought it would not be to Flag's taste either. Plague didn't care who it killed. It might have been better for the human race if the original funders of Project Blue had kept that simple fact in mind. So he had continued northwest of Indian Springs to the Nellis Air Force Range. The guards there were long dead, and the electricity had long since been turned off. Even the emergency generators were dead, leaving everything unlocked and ready for trash. He was able to get inside with little trouble. After a bit of searching, Trash found a barracks. The inside was filled with corpses of about 20 men. He wasn't sure there was anything for him inside that building, until he saw something in the back that interested him. A sign. Trash walked up to it and read it. The heat in here was tremendous. It made his head thump and swell. But when he stood in front of the sign, he began to smile. Yes, it was here. Somewhere on this base was what he had been looking for. The sign showed a cartoon man in a cartoon shower. He was soaping his cartoon genitals busily. They were almost entirely covered with a drift of cartoon bubbles. The caption beneath read, Remember, it is in your best interest to shower daily. Below that was a yellow and black emblem that showed three triangles pointed downward. The symbol for radiation. Trashcan Man laughed like a child and clapped his hands in the stillness. So we get another chapter from Trash's point of view. It's been a while because most of what we've seen from Trashcan Man in the past few chapters have just been mentions of him from other people's point of view. Flag himself, Lloyd, Dana, Carl Howe. So this particular chapter has no real dialogue because it's all internal, as it usually is with Trashcan Man. But that doesn't mean that this chapter is any less important. Because Trash is definitely suffering physically from being out in the desert so often. 
but that physical pain, the burn, doesn't seem to bother him much. He just goes out, seeks out his weapons for flag, and he brings them back. In his mind, he's in this new place. He has a new life. He's found friends. His lonely life has amounted to something there in Las Vegas. But then all it takes is this one thing, this one sentence to trigger all of those terrible memories from Indiana. From Tara Hout, the sheriff who killed his dad and then married his mom. Carly Yates, the people who would mock and torment him and tease him. His new friends suddenly became his tormentors. And Trash had reacted and responded by planting explosives on the equipment. It's not all insanity, because Trash does have this moment of clarity, of knowing that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, that the dark man had given him this opportunity, and he was about to ruin it just to watch some explosions. Trash could stop it. He could choose to take those explosives off, but the thrill of fire and his desire for explosions outweigh his desire to make Flag proud of him and to please his new friends. Like the book says, he threw his new life away. And then he had to run because he knew that the dark man would be angry. Trash cannot go back to Indian Springs or Vegas. He's finished. This is another chapter where King gives us the theme of choice. It's a lot like Harold, Nadine, Larry, giving them a choice to change the trajectory of their life. Harold had that choice by letting bygones be bygones with Fran and Stu, with becoming something different, becoming someone different in Boulder, becoming respected, becoming eventually a part of the Free Zone Committee after a couple of years. He had that choice to follow that path or to be seduced by the power that he believed Flag was tempting him with. Nadine had the choice to make something of herself in Boulder. She had gone to Larry thinking that was part of her choice. She knew in her heart that there was something not right about going to Flag, but she made the choice to do it anyway. She made the choice to help Harold plant that bomb. Hell, Larry had his choice. He could have slept with Nadine and left Lucy, and then who knows what that would have made him. But he made the choice to stay faithful and to commit himself to becoming a better person. Here, Trash has the choice to take those explosives off, to continue to be loyal to Randall Flagg, and then who the hell knows what he could have been. But his choice between Flagg and fire, I mean, obviously Flagg misjudged as he already figured out because Trash chose the spectacle. He chose the flames. He chose the explosions. He knows it. And he starts to wonder, though, does he really have to die? Does he have to kill himself? What if he found something big, something bigger and better and more deadly than dynamite and landmines? He could atone for his sins against Flag by bringing him something that would take care of Boulder once and for all. I suppose it's part of that guilt that one feels when they have to experience the consequences of their actions. Oddly enough, I think that if Flag really wanted to find Trash and kill him after the helicopters blew up, he would have done so. But as we discussed in the last episode, Flag kind of just puts Trash's life in the hands of his guards, expecting them to find Trash and kill him painlessly. 
instead of taking care of it himself. So now we have Trash roaming the desert looking for something very, very specific. And because he has this ability to seek out these deadly weapons, it kind of reminds me like he's a dog following his nose to his destination to that treat that he knows is buried somewhere. And Trash finds an Air Force base. It doesn't even seem like he really knows what he's searching for until he's found it. Something leads him into those barracks, to the back of the building, where the sign is for radiation. And then he knows what the base is harboring. He knows what he needs to bring back to Vegas. The big one. So yes, it's pretty clear that Flag did misjudge Trash Can Man. Trash's affinity for fire will always take precedence over his loyalty to Flag. Even when Trash is searching for something to atone for his sins, to redeem himself, is it really for Flag? Or is atonement just an excuse to find something far bigger and far deadlier to haul around? Is there something bigger and more powerful at work here? What is guiding Trash Can Man through the desert to find this weapon of mass destruction? Is it really Trash's ability to seek these things out, his desire for redemption? Is it Flag? Doubtful. What about God? Is it Mother Abigail? Or is it simply Trash in his own obsessed mind? Flag had worried Trash might bring something back, something worse. And now he has, or at least he's planning on doing it. So will this benefit Flag or doom him? Things are starting to go bad for Flag, and this is just another piece of that doomsday puzzle. There are others in Las Vegas who recognize Flag's failings, and they are ready to cut out and run. Lloyd has to decide whether or not to join them, which he will do next week in Chapter 69. Like I said, it was a short chapter, pretty straightforward. Trash is definitely putting some things in motion. Just as Tom is getting the hell out of there and our four heroes, Stu, Larry, Glenn, and Ralph, are all headed west. So it kind of feels like these things are going to start intersecting anytime now. And we have, after today, we have less than 10 chapters to go. We have about nine chapters left of this book to read and review. We are so close to being done. If you are enjoying this podcast, uh, it would be fantastic if you left me a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everybody for your kind words and your kind reviews and ratings. You have been so great. I appreciate you guys so much. And if you would like to get a hold of me, I'm on social media at The Circle Opens, or you can reach me at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. And with that being said, you guys, I hope you're all healthy. I hope you're all staying safe. Um, for the listeners here in the United States, have a very safe, and pleasant uh, Labor Day weekend. Everybody else in the rest of the world have a very safe and pleasant weekend. So, M-O-O-N, that spells, see you next week. <laughs>